0: In this episode of On Vacation, we talk to a lawyer and hear about his journey to success. From how his early career dreams... Well, if I can't be an astronaut
1: mum, then I want to be a dog catcher. ...grew into his teenage interest for politics. I actually had a picture of John Howard on my wall (laughs) (laughs) as a
0: kid. The struggles of university.
1: It wasn't easy. I came back to reality with a big thud. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm over it. Um, I'm done. And the pains of finding a job in a competitive market. I went through dozens of law firms and it was getting pretty hard to face the
0: rejection to eventually find success in his vocation. I, I very
1: much preferred and enjoyed and learned far more on the job than I did from uni. I think for anybody it's important to stick to your guns.
0: And of course a chance to be
1: a guesstimate champion. Do I win the jar if I get it right? If I get it
0: right. So what are we waiting for? On with the show. Hello and welcome to On Vocation, the show where we learn from the everyday experiences of everyday people. I'm your host, Ari, and today we're talking to David, a lawyer with four years of experience in his chosen vocation. So I know David from high school, but haven't kept in touch too much since then. So it's good to have an excuse to catch up. And uh, yeah, thanks for taking some time to share your experiences, David. No, not a problem at all, Larry. Nice to uh, be with you. So technically, the uh, the title solicitor, right?
1: That's right. Yes, yeah. uh, it doesn't get too creative in the legal field. <laughs> you're, you're either a lawyer or a paralegal or a law clerk, and
0: that's about it, really. Well, uh, you know, however they're known, lawyers tend to get a bit of a mixed review <laughs> in the movie. That's uh, very politely putting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, everything I've seen of uh, you know lawyers generally either go on the spectrum between you know a mor- morally questionable, unethically driven kind of villain of the story to the altruistic kind of defender of the underdog against yep. the big corporation. So did you have any ideas of what a lawyer was uh, growing up and um, when you're starting to form that idea of what a vocation is? Or did you have other ideas in mind kind of in, in early School,
1: I, I did. I suppose from my perspective, uh, I mean, if we take it right back to the beginning, mm. I told Mum I wanted to be an astronaut one day. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. being the uh, the caring mother that she was, tried to let me down gently and say, Look, David. Uh, there's not too many astronauts in the world and you have to be pretty smart and one of the best uh, sure. and I said well if I can't be an astronaut mum then I want to be a dog catcher <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. look forget, you know, this is uh, obviously a vocation <laughs> yeah. that I've since decided is probably not the best choice for a multitude of reasons I don't even why that, know why that came out at the time but look I, I don't think I was fully developed at that stage to be able to even think in those sort of concepts for me it was pro- I probably saw a TV show at the time and saw an astronaut and thought, oh, yeah, that looks pretty good. But uh, no, look, as I sort of grew up, uh, I guess the, the more realistic options came to mind. And uh, I, I was guided largely by the subjects in school. Um, to answer your question, no, I didn't really have any particular understanding of uh, what a lawyer did uh, any more than sort of the average person would. Um, from seeing tv shows and movies and, and hearing about it but yeah certainly the subjects guided where I was going to go and and like most people I gravitated towards well not like most people I gravitated towards the English and the humanities side maths and science was not my strong point and my grades were reasonably good at school so It came down to, well, if you're English and and humanities-focused and your grades are good, then law is more or less your your only option. Uh, Well, that's how I felt, certainly. That's the impression that I was given. Uh, And there was a lot of, uh, not pressure, I would say, but influence from uh, my parents or from peers, from teachers, to to sort of guide me in in that direction. Um, You might remember from school I was involved in debating and, and public speaking and naturally, people uh, would think that that lends itself to to being a lawyer, uh, having seen the shows, a uh, lawyer up there on the stand and uh, debating away and, you know, uh, you can't handle the truth and all that sort of <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, nice. So. Yeah, no, it's, yeah.
0: no, it's, um, it's- definitely does have a flair for the dramatic if you if you watch the the tv shows but um yeah it's interesting you're talking about your your influences with teachers and uh, maybe your parents as well um did you find you had any role models like either you know even fictional um, role models or or real people that um you wanted to kind of aspire to become like or
1: yeah it's a bit bizarre because my role models so to speak were not your conventional role models i know that uh, i was quite into politics at the time okay <clears throat> and I, uh, n- not that my political leanings are of you know, any great uh, merit, but hmm. um, I, I actually had a picture of John Howard on my wall nice, okay. <laughs> as a kid, yeah, um, or as a teenager, and, and that's perhaps a little bit different from what you might think a conventional
0: teenager's bedroom would feature. Sure, yeah, <laughs> no, that's no, definitely a um, interesting kind of you had a had a passion for. Something that that was out of the norm. Did you did you feel that uh, that was unique at the time, or w- was it something that you you surrounded yourself with peers that had the, had similar? I
1: passion? think I think it was unique. Okay. Uh, I think friends that came over and saw it would understandably give me a bit of stick for it. Sure. Uh, okay. And if I saw myself back then, I'd probably give myself a bit of stick out too. But no, look, I was aware at the time that it was perhaps a little bit different, but. Um, I don't know. I've never really worried too much about what other people think. I'm I'm like, well, if I like it, I like it. If you don't like that, I like it, then
0: sure. so be it. And, and what do you think um, kind of drew you to, to politics, um, even at that early age? Was was there something going on in the world that, that particularly impassioned you or was it... Um,
1: uh, not that I can recall. I remember that I was very opinionated at school and sure. I had uh, an opinion on everything and I from seeing, I guess, pop culture and and the media and watching the politicians do their thing, Mm. um, it drew me to, I guess, their passion and uh, their want to change things for the better. Sure. Um, You know, perhaps my experience in life has jaded me as to how politicians behave these days. Sure. Uh, But look, at the time, I, I admired the fact that they were trying to do the right thing and they were passionate about it and that they would stand up and defend or at least put their
0: position out there okay. to, to others. Do you remember any kind of early early formative event or anything that, that really got you interested in that? What made you go out and get that poster?
1: It's a good question. I can't recall exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that in year 10 uh, would have been about the time that September 11 happened. Okay, And uh, that was quite... Um, quite emphatic on my mind as a 15 year old sure. uh, because we'd taken the day off school. So well, we were at school, but mm. we were, the, the eyes were glued to the screen. Correct. Yeah. Watching this event unfold. And yeah. I guess the reality of life kind of hit at that point that, wow, there are people that can do this sort of thing to each other. Sure. Uh, and I, I would say that that certainly had an impact, uh, Perhaps not as uh, consciously at the time, or even now, as I would have thought, but certainly subconsciously, it would have had some sort of impact. I'm sure.
0: Oh, that's that's really interesting. Like I think we all take those kind of very polarizing moments in different ways. Like uh, for me, I like I remember seeing that and remember going through school, um, and you know talking to people about it. Didn't have that effect on me um, as it did on you. So it must have um, been something about. I guess your personality that that really uh, you wanted to make a difference and wanted to make some changes and that was starting to maybe form in your mind at that at that point. Yeah,
1: I, I would think that's a fair assessment for sure.
0: So in high school, I kind of remember you as being you know fairly verbose and confident, <laughs> and uh, you know you're a part of a debate team. You're confident speaking in front of large um, audiences and things like that. Did you find your time at high school? you know, shaped pursuing something in university that would get you towards politics or something in some way? Were you starting to think strategically or was I, it...?
1: I think so, yes. Mm. Uh, and I, my experiences, I suppose, in debating, in public speaking, mm. it was quite often uh, the dialogue that would follow on from there, especially as a school student. Mm. You know, you do debating, um, oh, have you ever thought about going into politics? Or okay. family friends might say, oh, you should be a politician, Sure. Yeah. Okay. So right. um, it might be a throwaway comment at the time, but sure. uh, looking back on it now, I think those comments certainly did register and perhaps influence my uh, eventual decision
0: making. In where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. Being someone that's interested, how did you start kind of making a few decisions that would kind of cement that that path for you? Like, uh, was it just a case of pick a few particular humanities type units? Or?
1: Yeah. So uh, yeah, humanities units, yeah, yeah or subjects. Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, I think. My grades influenced my subject choice by and large, especially sort of earlier on years eight and nine, mm. where uh, I found that English was more so a strength than maths and science. Sure, um, that's not to say that necessarily my maths and science subjects were were poor. I was okay in maths and science, mm. uh, and I did pursue sort of the higher level maths and science in year eleven. Mm. Um, but then once coming once we got to year twelve, I found that. I think it was intro calc at the time, the, mm. the higher level maths, was quite difficult mm. uh, and my grades weren't as good as they were in English. Sure. Um, I suppose the natural affinity, if you want to call it, for the English and the humanities mm. meant that I enjoyed it. I yeah, mean, sure. Uh, you're getting graded on your subjects, so exactly, you're getting yeah. positive connotations when you're getting a good grade, you're getting negative connotations if your grade's not so good. Sure. So. Um, when it came to year 12 uh, and where the subject selection really is, the well, as they, they say it is, the be-all and end-all, hmm. uh, I I certainly gravitated towards those humanities and social science English sure. drama. I didn't do any science whatsoever. Okay. I re- kind of regret that a bit um, okay. because I, since then I've gotten into science, but look, that's a yeah. no, whole
0: other story. Yeah, no, I think that's... um. Definitely kind of a a common story I I feel. Maybe something to do with the way science is taught in schools. I guess coming towards the end of high school then um, did you feel that you still wanted to keep your options open or were you starting to really narrow down into maybe one or two um, particular things that you wanted to do after school?
1: There was a day I remember in class and I had a good friend at school at the time who was very similar in terms of the affinities for certain subjects, English and social studies and, and was a good friend of mine and I think I asked him, look, what are you doing once you leave school? Mm. And he was quite adamant that he wanted to do law. Okay. And I think it was as simple as that in that I decided then and there that, look, if he's obviously made up his mind, Mm. um, I trust his judgment. He's sort of about the same level as me in terms of subject affinities and abilities uh, it, it seemed then to be I suppose the logical choice and the, the mm. more that I thought about it and the uh, options available the more I, I tended to rule out any of the other options uh, there was that process of going through the books that they gave you and sure uh, but uh, I think a lot of people make up their mind at that point if you like but mm. my mind was made up uh, prior to that I, I decided then that yep this is what I wanted to do, okay. and I put down law for the various universities in order of preference of uni. Um, sure. I can't recall exactly what my non-law preferences were, but okay.
0: yeah, I suppose it's
1: not so material at this point in time. Anyway. Yeah,
0: sure, okay. Talk us through a bit about um, that transition from high school to uni. Like, how was that for you? Was it challenging or was yeah, it, it was uh,
1: yeah. well, it was challenging, but at yeah. the same time, it was, it was exciting. Um, it was adventurous. It was crazy. Mm. Uh, the difference between high school and university for me was uh, it was immense. And uh, there was some bad components, but there was some amazing components to that as well. Mm. I think uh, the the rigidity of school and uh, you know you have to be in this class by this time. You have to go to lunch at this time. Recess by this time. Mm. Uh, it all falls away, and and you're very much become your own person in that you are now responsible for how you get to class. You are now responsible for whether you even go to class uh, and nobody will, uh, I mean, aside from the compulsory attendances, you know, you are by and large responsible. Yeah. And that level of responsibility was something that I'd never come across before. Mm. Uh, but with that responsibility came freedom, freedom to choose whether I wanted to go to class or not, yeah. um, you know, especially in the early days I did. Yeah. Um, and, but that freedom was something that I was very excited about and I enjoyed, mm. uh, but it was also very foreign to me. You know, okay. I hadn't had that before. No, I was actually okay with it, okay. Uh, pa- perhaps better than some of my peers were, mm. who I've noticed were t- finding it really challenging not being, I guess, spoon-fed like we were in school. True. Uh, and they didn't handle that that freedom and that responsibility. Yeah. Um, I was okay. I, I wasn't an excellent uni student in my early days, but I attended classes, I, I still had that residual Study ethic, if you like, from high school, and Mm. and I managed to study well enough for my exams to do uh, reasonably well. Okay,
0: that's
1: good. Um, At the same time, Mm. there's a lot of distractions that start to filter in, uh, especially first, second year uni, that uh, perhaps you're not ready for when you leave high school, or certainly don't expect.
0: Yeah, that's that's a very turbulent time of your life to, to be you know making these big decisions, and it's interesting. That it's a to, life
1: lesson that needs to be learned. Yeah, I think it's only in
0: hindsight that you really get that opportunity to reflect back on on that, because at the time, it's like you said, it was, it's pretty distracting and pretty crazy, and um, a lot happening, and you know, exams and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, while you were doing the degree, did you ever feel like you were going down the wrong path, or were you pretty happy with? Where you going?
1: I felt happy, uh, especially for the first year and mm. the second year. Uh, life, I suppose, for me changed quite dramatically in the second year uh, of uni. In that, I was doing a, a double degree in law and Asian studies, mm. and the Asian studies was a major in Mandarin Chinese language. Okay, um, and. I very much enjoyed the arts units. Uh, they were, I guess, what I would class as the, the social studies or the humanities subjects mm-hmm. at a university level. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was an opportunity, and they very much encourage you to throw your opinion around, to throw ideas around, to challenge ideas. Sure. Uh, and I really enjoyed that aspect. In the Chinese language class or units, uh, there was a scholarship that was made available mm. to the students. And the... Scholarship was a, an opportunity to live and study in China for six months. Okay. And I applied for that scholarship more out of naivety than anything else. I thought, oh, let's give it a crack. Why not? If sure. I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to get it. Oh, uh, excellent. So I took a break, so to speak, in yeah. the third year of my study mm-hmm. to go and study in China, at nice. least for the first semester. Sure. Now, that experience is a whole other story, but uh, ultimately, the the travel and the experience that that gave me made me question what I wanted to do and whether, in fact, I was on the right path. I mean, to anybody who's been traveling, uh, I was, what, 21 at the time, or 20, sorry, at the time, Mm. so I was still a kid, more or less. Uh, I didn't mature as quickly as many other people would have by the age of 20. I was Mm. still pretty naive. Okay. And... Uh, the, the opportunity to travel, especially to China, which is a country of, you know, immense population, mm-hmm. immense diversity, uh, and to realise that, hang on a minute, I am not some big wig here, I am just one person in a vast, vast sea of people, was very humiliating, not in a bad way, but in a very humbling way is probably the better word. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it then therefore sort of opened my eyes to all of these experiences and, and embracing that experience I had dreams of being a travel writer and I wanted more of this and sure whilst now I realize you know it's not yeah. the most realistic career option you know I was very in that stage the the fantasy aspect was yeah. just bang right there in my mind and I was just uh, lapping
0: it up every right. minute okay so the the travel really kind of swept you off your feet you wanted to kind of refocus your career to to have more of that, exactly. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, how did you um, kind of resolve that conflict in your mind? Then it, ask- it wasn't easy,
1: uh, and I came back to to Perth a year later, and uh, I and reality. I, I came back to reality, and I, I came back to reality with a big thud. In that, I went back to uni. My motivation was not there. Um, I was missing classes. I was my mind was everywhere but at uni. And I was trying to do the bare minimum just to get by. Mm. And I think some pretty sobering uni scores later uh, with an experience of nearly failing out of uni mm. sort of scared me, if you like, into, well, hang on a minute. No, what is it that you're doing here? Where are you going? What, what is your future? And mm. at that moment, I decided, look, it's it's time to make a decision here. and And it was a pretty important, I suppose, turning point.
0: Mm. Uh, in my life. Was that fairly introspective or did you have people um, helping and kind of mentoring you through that? It was pretty introspective mm. uh, looking back and
1: uh, I think that by and large I, I carried that myself. It's not nice to admit to people that you know your, sc- your grades at uni are bad or mm. you, you don't know what you're doing with your life. It's not a conversation that you, you quite um, willingly have with people mm. Um, having said that, if you're feeling like it's too tough, then by all means, you know, reach out because people will help. Actually, in just speaking now, mm. uh, my memories uh, brings me back to suggest that I did actually seek outside help. Okay. And that was in the form of a career counsellor okay. uh, who was a family friend. Sure. And that came recommended to me because Somewhere along the line, I think I might have told my parents, uh, look, this I don't want to do this anymore. I'm over it. Um, I'm done. Mm. And they sensibly said, well, before you make that decision, and we're happy for you to make that decision, mm. maybe have a chat to this person to see what your options are. She was quite influential in, I guess, painting the picture of what future employment prospects looked like okay. for my Asian studies degree in particular mm. in that... There wasn't a lot out there. There were options, mm. but none of those really appealed to me in terms of the lifestyle. She said, for instance, you could be an English teacher in China. Okay. Um, I'd done the travel. I was ready to stay at home. Or she said, you know, you can go into the diplomatic corps, but it's very competitive to get into that mm. and uh, sort of put a few options out there. Sure. And it made me realize that, look, uh, law is my best option here and i'm halfway through mm. let's let's finish it and then decide because as it was said to me at the time just because you're getting a law degree doesn't mean you have to be a lawyer and your employment prospects will be boosted by the fact that you've got a law degree mm. Um not necessarily that you need to be a lawyer I suppose that was that was a turning point okay uh, it was a point where I realized i'm I'm in it now and I'm okay. in it for the long haul sure uh, it wasn't gradual uh, once I made that decision to finish, mm. my goal then became finish that degree, just finish mm. that degree. It was almost a mantra sure uh, just to try and, and get by and then I suppose whatever was to happen after that, I didn't even consider. Yeah. My, my idea at the time was just finish that degree and deal with what the future holds okay. once you reach that point. yeah I know that a lot of especially at law school you're told to to seek vacation work mm. uh, to to try and get involved in the profession from an early point as possible. Mm. I did it very differently. I had no interest in that whatsoever. I didn't do any clerkships. Um, working in a law firm was the furthest thing in my mind. I just didn't want to do it sure. Um, because the law degree had such a, a negative connotation in my mind at the time. Yeah. Uh, the first time I started looking at it was once I graduated, mm. and that is very late in the piece. And in a competitive market, it's it's not ideal. Sure. And I can see why people were saying to me, get involved as early as you can, because it gives you that experience mm. which you can then rely on and differentiates you from the other candidates when you're going for a job. I I suppose for any budding lawyers out there, don't feel as though it's the be-all and Mm. end-all. There are ways to get into the legal profession without having done that work. Whilst it's not ideal, Mm. it is possible. I didn't work in an office until I graduated from my law degree at the age of, what was it, 25, 26, I think it was. So. Um, It was all foreign territory to me, but for those of my peers that had got that experience, they sort of realised, oh, maybe I want to work in community legal centres or maybe I want to work in the biggest firm on St George's Terrace because they'd had that exposure. So, sure, okay. Um, a
0: few more options were open as a result of doing that early on. Better job prospects, hmm. certainly,
1: and uh, I think a better understanding of what the industry was about.
0: What was that first step for you like then? Come out, uh, finish your degree, and you started applying. What options were open to you at that time, and then what did you end up taking? There were not many options
1: available. Hmm. I should say that there is, I guess, a, a gap in between graduating from law and, and from starting in the profession, in that uh, you get qualified with a law degree, but mm-hmm. then to become a lawyer, you need to do a graduate diploma, okay. which is about a, a six-month course, sure. And that then qualifies you, along with some vocational work, yeah, uh,
0: and that work to become a lawyer. So, did you feel that the degree and then the grad diploma was in? Um, that's right. Uh, did you feel that everything you learnt in those two? prepared you adequately for you know your first year out in the world in the workplace not really no okay, right. <laughs> what was you know the main kind of glaring differences in those educational type training versus you know what you actually, actually did yeah.
1: it's hard to say i think the college of law did a much better job in preparing with you know for instance there's a memo that you need to prepare on this or this mm. is uh, um, how you conduct an interview with a client uh They try and run through these exercises, role plays, if you like, to give you that experience as best they can without actually doing it in real life. Sure. I think that's about as close as you can get, really, without doing the real thing. But, of course, each firm has its nuances as to how they want, perhaps, to use that example, a client interview to be conducted. Mm. Um, Some law firms won't let a junior do a client interview until they're five years in practicing or, okay, right. you know, especially the larger firms or at least they'll be taking the passive role. The smaller firms you chucked in the deep end yep. and, uh, you know, very early on in the piece you'll be face-to-face with a client and, and away you go. So,
0: What was that first uh, job you got out in the field?
1: It was a, a smaller firm mm-hmm. and I got that job by cold-calling firms. Okay, and That's how I did it and it was the only way I found that I could I suppose, distinguish myself from everybody else that was throwing in applications. Mm. I didn't want to just be another piece of paper. I wanted to, I found that varying levels of success, but especially the old school firm, so to speak, quite liked the fact that I was picking up the phone, trying to speak to the managing partner or the office manager mm. directly and, and taking a really full frontal approach to, to finding the work. Sure. Uh, I went through dozens of law firms and it was getting pretty hard to face the rejection, if you like, of yeah. people saying, look, we just don't have a position or we're not interested. It's such a competitive market in yeah. in so many industries and I suppose you've got to step in the shoes of a recruiter or the office manager, the person who's looking at all of these resumes for the one position mm. and somehow make yourself even stand out just that little bit, yeah. something there that will make them notice you above the
0: others yeah sure and how long were you trying for for the job before you before something came through was it a long time it was it was a long
1: time Uh, I think it would have been about five months and I was working casually at a bar at the time sure sort of on my days off or I'd make a rule maybe one or two firms a day I would call up just to to see if they'd had any
0: opportunities available for a lot of people, that could be very you know completely discouraging to to have to go through that for five months and to not be getting anything. Uh, what kind of kept you going?
1: I didn't. I didn't see myself as having any other option. I, I knew that there. I was coming. I was getting close, and there was. You know, I had a couple of interviews or there were people that were interested and ultimately said, look, we like what you've done by contacting us or we like who you are, but unfortunately we don't have a position available. Mm -hmm. If we did, we would, or we'll call you back if there is one. So I I guess I was clinging on to those little beacons of hope that something, you know, I wasn't far away, I wasn't far away. And in the meantime, I had a job, I was working and, you know, I was enjoying my time, but um, I'd spent about seven or eight years in in hospitality by then, just through uni, and
0: then sure. looking, and I was over it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I wanted Being to get ready out. For a change yeah, that's ready right. To put your degree to good use. It, okay. Precisely. yeah. Okay. So, that uh, first year in this new firm, what was that like? Was it you know vastly different to everything that you you've been taught so far, or, or were you able to kind of just uh, pick up where you left off from the degree? and I feel like the uni
1: didn't really prepare me in that regard by teaching me a whole lot of different laws mm. uh, It didn't really prepare me for perhaps the the one or two areas that we this particular firm I started off in really focused on. I, I very much preferred and enjoyed and and learnt more, far mm. more on the job than I did
0: okay. uh from, from uni. Yeah, okay. So as soon as you had something to apply it to, you were able to, you know, take that those abstract ideas and, and put them into practice. Exactly. Oh, that's yes. good. Yeah, you know, working as a solicitor, what did you find really kind of motivated you to get out there and, and do your best? it was the clients okay.
1: uh, and lawyers at least the ones i've met sort of a lot of them have a bit of a love hate relationship with their clients but ultimately people are coming to you because they've got a problem and if they're seeing a lawyer it's normally because it's a pretty big problem mm. and it's you can see the stress and the tax uh, the taxing nature of that problem on their life and the ability to I guess put them at ease at least during and then ultimately at the end when there's a resolution uh, is I suppose the most rewarding part of mm. the job and, and what keeps me going mm. it's also uh, the challenging nature of the work mm. it's quite uh, mentally stimulating and it's it's uh, it's work that you don't get to see or do every day. I liken a solicitor to a project manager in in many respects in that you start off, uh, a matter will start by a client will come to you and say, I've got X problem. Mm. And your job first and foremost is to work out exactly what the problem is Mm -hmm. and to work out what's relevant and what's not. uh, And to really get their position to give you an idea, I'm in civil litigation by and large, and with that essentially means that if uh, two people have a problem with each other or two companies have a problem with each other, hmm. two private entities, if you want to put it that way, have a problem, uh, then they battle it out in court as to who's right, who's wrong. Civil law, I think, is, is most commonly known by. So my role is to firstly work out from my clients, what's the problem? And uh, what? where do you stand with respect to the law? Mm. Um, are you right? Are you wrong? From there, this and quite often it's not as clear cut as that. Yeah, sure. Uh, but from there, it's about negotiating with the other side. And um, if there's negotiations are useless and if the parties want to fight, then you go through the court process. And sure. the court process is very much like a tennis match in that, you know, the first person serves a claim on the other side. The person responds by saying, "I'm going to defend the claim," mm. and then you put out your claim in writing. The person comes back with their defence in writing. It's sort of this toing and froing, sure. getting all the documents together, okay. and uh, ultimately it's settled at a trial by a judge or a magistrate.
0: Okay, right. And what percentage of your time then is spent in a courtroom versus out, like trying to work things out outside of the courtroom? They say
1: that, I mean, it's probably not relevant in the context of your question, but some 80 to 90% of all matters are settled before it goes to an ultimate trial. Sure. And that's not to say that there aren't sort of smaller court hearings in the meantime, mm. but to directly answer your question, I would suggest that perhaps 5% of my time is in a courtroom okay. and 95 is is outside. Okay. Okay. Um, of course, sometimes, for instance, I've got a, a trial coming up, which is two weeks. Uh, sure. It's a two-week trial. So for those two weeks, I'll be in court sure. all day, every day. Okay. Uh, but uh, by and large, on the every day-to-day sort of matter, it's, mm. it's a very small percentage that you're actually inside the courtroom.
0: Right. I think that's a that's probably a big difference to what most people think of, uh, of what a lawyer or solicitor does. Um, versus what actually is the case. Even myself, I thought you'd be spending most of your time in the courtroom, like doing that, that kind of transactional um, back and forth. Was it-
1: I suppose you're, you're right, yeah. and I think we get that impression from the TV. I mean, the exciting yeah. part of yeah. the law is in the courtroom when you can't handle the truth. Yeah, things, exactly. You know, yeah, sure. uh, you know the, it's yeah. not so exciting when you're, you're sending a, a ten-page correspondence on you know bearings on some part of a machinery uh, you know and trying to get your head around uh, the engineering or the you know might be an employment law issue it could be something else but Mm. certainly by and large the the bulk of the work is done behind the scenes and there's a lot of correspondence letters go back and forth
0: between the parties in a dispute you're in pretty good company, being a lawyer with the you know, the likes of kind of Gandhi and Mandela and uh, <laughs> Obama, even. So, um, is that uh, that's about where the link ends? <laughs> I think
1: <yeah. laughs> I'd like to be held in the same esteem as those kind, those gentlemen, but uh,
0: yeah. Well, um, well, I guess um, going back to your your high school, you had a you had an interest in politics, and you had. Yeah, that kind of uh, motivation initially. Anyway, is that something that's still on the radar? Is that why you're doing, why you're continuing with law? It's a que- uh,
1: it comes and goes, okay. and I often question where I am and what I'm doing, mm. and that question will I think remain be will will keep being asked uh, for the rest of my days. As far as politics go, I just find it's perhaps a bit grubbier than I first thought, sure. and that noble sort of making a difference is perhaps what many uh, politicians go in with, mm. but ultimately the landscape politically is, is very different in, in Parliament and those ideas of making a change for the better kind of fall by the wayside with all of the outside influences and inside influences. Sure, okay. Um, but that's not to say it's completely off the cards. Um, okay. I'm quite happy at the moment to, to go with the flow and, and see where uh, this crazy journey takes me.
0: Sure. Excellent. Well, I mean, all the best with it. And and, then I'm sure I'll see you on on the news at some point, uh, you know, running for election. Yeah, hopefully for a good reason, not (laughs) a bad one. Yeah. Yeah. You seem like you've gone through quite a journey to get to where you are. And that's um, usually a sign of, you know, someone that's taken the the right path for them like I suppose there would have been a lot lot of opportunities to do something else completely and um, but you've seemed to have stuck to your guns and even though the path wasn't linear it's kind of it sounds like it's a bit of a calling for you
1: yeah I think so I think for anybody it's important to stick to your guns yeah. and uh, do what you want to do because there's so many opportunities available yeah and there's so much out there to to enjoy so just take it with a smile and go with it. I think there's some lessons that I've learned and I've shared, I guess, across yeah. our chat here tonight. Yeah. Um, having said that, I would just encourage people to... When you're at school, learning is not fun or at least you get this idea that learning's not fun yeah. but just realise that learning can be fun if you're learning about what you want to learn about mm. and the same thing goes for those people that are aspiring to, to get into law. Talk to people... Uh, get online. There's so many resources available. This uh, podcast is fantastic for that. Um, There's resources that are available everywhere for you to be able to just learn about what it's like and try and absorb as much as you can before making the decision. But don't worry about making mistakes along the way because those mistakes is what you will learn from and what will ultimately turn you into not just a good lawyer, but a good person. Oh, that's excellent advice.
0: But uh, it's that time of the show now uh, to play guesstimate. A, a game where I guess have to estimate three properties of a particular transparent container. For a chance to hold a coveted position on the Guesstimate leaderboard, <laughs> so uh, I wasn't told about this. Before. <laughs> yeah. so, you sprung this on me. Yeah, well, your first task is to give a bit of a visual description of the particular transparent container I'm handing over to you now. So, if you could just kind of tell our listeners what I, what I've just handed over. I'm holding a
1: jar, hmm. and it's got a cork lid and contains a series of delicious-looking peanut M Ms. Excellent. I know my peanut MMs. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: you'll have to be you'll you'll be guessing three particular characteristics of that jar. Um, right. First one is the the larger diameter, so the the larger of the two diameters of that jar. Um, secondly, the weight, and thirdly, the number of. Delicious peanut m in the <laughs> jar. So uh, you don't have a peanut allergy or anything. No, I don't. No. Okay. I should, probably should have asked before handing it over to you. But um, yeah. So uh, yeah, just talk us through your thought process. You can take it in any order you want.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll go in the order that you've given it to me. Um, the, because the diameter, I think, is the easiest, or so to well, so I would have thought. Sure. I just I've been holding a ruler all afternoon, so I should know <laughs> okay. this. Okay. My guess is that it is. Seven centimeters in diameter. You also asked me as to the weight. Yes. So now can... it's pretty heavy, and there are a few M and M's in here.
0: Yeah, I think having a glass jar itself makes it heavy. Yes, that's true too. Yeah. Yes,
1: uh, I'd say it's more than a kilo. I'm I'm going to go with 1.2 kilos. Okay, 1,200
0: grams. Yes. And lastly, the one that people have the most trouble with generally <laughs> is that the number. Like yes. estimating kind of bulk numbers of anything is, is quite difficult. Yes. Um, so what was that? Did you, did you just count down? I did.
1: Something? I counted the amount of M&Ms in the length of the jar. Mm-hmm. And if I count around, there's about five on one side and five on the other side. So you're looking at about 10, 15 in the top. If I say, what, how many did I say was up and down? 2, 4, 6, 8 by 15 is...
0: I could do it here if you'd prefer.
1: Yeah, maths, this <laughs> is what we take it right back. <laughs> <laughs> maths was never my forte, which is why I did more.
0: Well, we've got uh, 120. Are you kind of happy with that? I want to add a
1: few extra just for fun, so sure. I'm going to go with 130
0: one three zero yeah
1: okay excellent so uh before do i win the jar if i get it right you get to keep the jar regardless <laughs> oh, wow. that's the uh yeah, the <laughs> bonus of this game oh geez
0: i love this game <laughs> <laughs> so uh before i, I give you your score i'll uh, tell you the um the current highest score which is 85.5 percent accuracy which is um a school teacher bonita uh, she did well really done, well. Benita. Yeah, she guessed the um, the number of whatever was in the jar ac- oh, 100% accurate. Oh, well, then she's got it made, yeah. doesn't she? Because that's going to be the hardest one. And uh, the lowest score was Andrew the Architect um, with 61.4%. <laughs> so, where do you think you are?
1: I reckon I'm, I, I don't think I've got the top. I think Benita's got that covered. I'm going to say I'm a narrow second and
0: think positive. Okay, so the second place is uh, Raj the anaesthetist <laughs> and he's 82.4% So let's, let, let's see how you did there you, Your guess for the dimension, the, the um, diameter there was 7 centimeters, And I can tell you that the actual dimension was 835 centimeters. Well it wasn't eight, too eight, far off point. Yeah, you're quite close, so that's uh, 16% off, which is very close uh, the next one was the weight. So the, the, some some people have trouble with the weight here. Um, I think so I you, might have
1: overestimated it now that I think of it. But anyway, no, tell me, how did I do?
0: So you guessed uh, 1,200 grams. Yes. The actual weight was 753 oh, grams. Oh, yeah. So you were... 59% off for that one. Oh. And that's, oh, that's, that's probably the one that's going to hurt you. I yeah, think. I think so. Because your guess for the number of M&Ms inside the jar was 130. And the actual number inside that particular jar is 151. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you're 14% well, that's, off there. That's which not gives, too bad. Yeah, it gives you a total accuracy score of 70.2%, which I believe is... Fourth place currently. Okay, that's yeah. not bad. So you did pretty well, actually. But uh, you know, that's that's all for this particular show. But um, this is when our listeners get to participate a bit. So was there something you wished I would have asked David, but I didn't? Or are you thinking of becoming a lawyer as your chosen vocation? Well, you can get all the answers to those questions and more by visiting the website, which is onvocation.org, where you can find the previous episodes, as well as links to the show's Twitter and Facebook pages. And feel free to hit me up on Twitter with any questions or comments. Or if email is more your thing, you can get in contact with me on info at onvocation.org. So thanks for your time today, David. It was great catching up and hearing a bit about your journey. Uh, Thank you, Ari.
1: I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, and no, how'd you find it? I think um, a few people can be a little bit uncomfortable talking about their life and their aspirations. How'd you, how'd you generally find it? It was it's it's good to reminisce, or, or I guess to stop and take stock of
1: where I've come from and and how it's gotten me to this point. And uh, I found it a great opportunity to do so. And if it's helped out somebody, uh, and of course, if there are any questions. Um, you know fire them through to Ari because uh, he and I will be happy to help it, it, we've been through it so we want to help you guys and
0: and it's it's been great it was a blast talking to you and it's good catching up yeah it's been fascinating and valuable I'm sure that your experiences will get out there and help someone but um that's all for this particular episode and stay tuned for our next discussion on vocation